You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. It's surprising that of all the things related to Taiwan that I've covered on this podcast, I haven't covered this one. How is it that I haven't done an episode about bubble tea? Last year, I heard that April 30th was National Bubble Tea Day when I saw a tweet by President Tsai Ing-wen. So I got to work planning to release an episode about bubble tea for this year's April 30th. I started off speaking to New York-based bubble tea veteran Sam Lin, who brought the Quickly Bubble Tea brand from Taiwan to New York. April from 2003, so it's almost the first chain store in New York. Right. So we sell bubble tea, we sell a Taiwanese crispy chicken. Oh, wow, the business is pretty good. Very good. His first quickly shop was in Flushing, near the public library on Castena. Now he runs 22 cocoa bubble tea shops in New York, New Jersey, and Boston. Sam's mother is a street vendor in Taiwan, selling dohua, a sweet tofu dessert. And Sam grew up eating dohua with tapioca balls long before there was this thing called bubble tea. Sam had some interesting things to say about the origins of bubble tea and who invented it. Website say, okay, Taichung, Chensui Town, or Tainan, Hanlin Changguan. I think the first bubble tea is not as two. I believe it's not as two. You know, the beginning of the tapioca, right? When I was young, right? I already eat tapioca. When my mom was young, already have tapioca. They put with the, a lot with the milk, with the, any kinds of dessert, right? Yeah. So tapioca already there. But in milk tea, must be somebody before these two. But I don't know which one. So I was getting this episode ready for the end of April, but then I spoke to Bo Cheng Shu, the organizer of the Bubble Tea Festival in New York who had this to say about the origins of National Bubble Tea Day. When I heard about it, it really made me scratch my head. You know, where did this come from? So I think one of the leads that I got was this day was applied through a commercial platform by the owner of Kung Fu Tea. And April 30th happens to be the day that they started their operation in the United States. So that is how this uh, National Bubble Tea Day came about. But if you ask me, about our New York City bubble tea they should be. I think we should have the date on where the New York Times published a very funny article. I mean, funny kind of sarcastic way about bubble tea. And it was full of misunderstanding and stereotypes on the drink. So maybe hopefully, you know, we could push out to, uh, you know, movement to do that here in New York City. It could be a bubble tea day for understanding, you know, and everybody should have a bubble tea on that day. The New York Times article that Borchang is referring to originally had the headline, The Blobs in Your Tea? They're Supposed to Be There. We'll include links to the article and related articles written in reaction to it on our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. As I was doing research for this episode, I also came across a YouTube channel called Bubble Tea Kristen. I even mentioned this when I spoke to Stan, the bubble tea veteran that you heard from earlier. When I was doing research, I shared the link with you. There's actually a YouTube channel with a woman. I believe she's American, even though she's says that she's based in the UK. She has a whole bubble tea YouTube channel talking about how to open up a bubble tea business. What do you think of that? It's very good. Very yeah. good. I saw the, the video. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they call it a bubble tea queen, right? Her YouTube channel is an amazing resource for almost everything related to bubble tea. She has recipes for those wanting to make bubble tea drinks at home. In the past, she owned and ran several bubble tea shops. And what she does now is help people who dream of opening their own bubble tea shop. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by Natoa. The North America Taiwanese Women's Association, NATOA, was founded in 1988 and its mission is 
One, to evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity. Two, to oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality. Three, to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs. Four, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan. Five, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NADWA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Without further ado, here's our interview. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm very honored to be here and uh, to help the world know more about bubble tea and get educated and uh, share my passion and knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I'm surprised that I haven't uh, covered bubble tea on my podcast. People know anything about Taiwan, they know about bubble tea. So it was interesting because I was thinking about that I should be covering this topic and I was doing some research and then I came across your wonderful YouTube channel. You have so much, so many resources there and information. And I was like, just curious, who is this lady? (laughs) Can we start first by telling my audience a little bit about you? You're from the U.S. originally, but you're in the U.K. now, right? Yeah. So basically, I I grew up not really knowing much about bubble tea and Taiwan and, and other areas, countries and out there. And what happened was when I got to high school, I had a friend who was very much so into anime and things like that. And so she turned me on to it and I got really excited. And then there was one bubble tea shop or boba shop that was in Southern California, because that's where I'm from. And it was about a four-hour drive away. And so every Friday night in traffic, we would head down. It was was close towards San Diego, but not quite that far. It's been between San Diego and Los Angeles area. And we would go arrive probably around eight o'clock at night, and we would close the place out at about two o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And it was just that original boba experience, that vibe of people just coming together, hanging out, talking about everything Asian and watching videos, playing games and making sure that you have a cup of bubble tea beside you having a great time. And sometimes they would do car shows and events and it was just that amazing experience. So I feel very fortunate that I had that during my high school years, because that really molded my love and appreciation of the culture. Then I got married in 2015. My husband is English and I moved Mm -hmm. to England. And at that point, I had gone through a lot in my life, a lot of different experiences, different jobs, different entrepreneurships and whatnot. And so I was like, what am I going to do? So at that point, I wrote down all of the things that I really loved, things that brought me joy, things that I was passionate about. And the most random one on the list was bubble tea, a.k.a. boba. And so I was like, my husband's like, yeah, we don't really have that yet in England. There was only a few places in Chinatown in London that existed at the time. Uh-huh. This was way back, early 2015. And yeah. so I got as much training as I could. I found someone who was willing to mentor me, teach me everything that they knew. And I worked there and I learned. And then I took that knowledge and experience and applied it to my own shop. Wow. So you actually worked at someone else's bubble tea shop or something to get? Yeah. Just for a short period of time, just to learn as much as I possibly could. And luckily this person, this mentor was, if I asked any question, they knew the answer or they were willing to look up the answer. I could probably go back to my notes from that time period and just write a book about all of those questions that I had, plus more of my own knowledge now. Okay. And so that's basically what happened. And in the first year, it was like what I always share with people that I mentor is it's a trial and error. You just go along and you figure things out. And then once you've got it, you got it. And then you can experiment and create new drinks and learn about all the different ways to do marketing and branding and change the experience. And you can grow the business at that point. But it's all about getting the foundations of the actual drink itself, really understanding it. 100% and then moving on. And so that's what I did. I created more shops, more kiosks, pop-ups, events, all sorts of stuff. And so I took over the UK in a way at that point. 
Um, and then in 2020, the world happened. And at that point, I made the decision. I had a good five years, got lots of awards, lots of recognition. So I was able to sell everything nicely. Um, and then I went totally digital, became a digital nomad. My husband and I, we traveled the world. I met up with clients in you know Costa Rica, Mexico, even North America. And by then, I had already had clients in other areas of the world as well. So I visited them. And that's basically what happened. I went totally online, started my YouTube channel, started my website from need, not even thinking that was going to be an end result. But it was so many people on YouTube saying, how do we get your recipes? How do we get in contact with you? How do we get mentoring from you? Because I wasn't even doing mentoring at the time. And then I created my website. And it just snowballed from there. Yeah, that's kind of everything in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, sounds like you're really addressing an important need. That's really interesting. Are you surprised that you ended up doing this? What did you imagine or did you want to do as a kid growing up? Lots of different things. That's a great question. I actually started at a very young age doing acting. So I was always in different commercials and TV shows. And the one thing that taught me was that even if you think you're having a bad day or you're tired or whatever. It doesn't matter. You made a commitment. And as an entrepreneur and a bubble tea shop owner, I think I can usually tell when I'm mentoring someone online or in person, if they're coming at it from an employee point of view or from a business owner, entrepreneur point of view. And as a business owner, you have to almost treat it like it's a baby, like it's your child. You have to be there ready and available 24-7 if need be. But get it to grow up on its own so then that way you can step away and let it become its own person or child or whatever, if you will. So that was one thing that I learned my whole life growing up. And I never had any problems creating new business ideas and being creative uh, and very expressive as well with my passions in life. So yeah, I did that quite a lot. I had a lot of experience with just things in the field, food and beverage, managerial roles, mm -hmm. uh, really reading as many books and watching informational videos as possible as to entrepreneurship, personal development, being a business owner, all of those sort of things, and then just applying that. But nothing compares to actually being out there in the field. So you sold your business during the pandemic? Mm -hmm. At the very beginning. My husband and I said, it can go one of two ways. Everything will just clear up right away. And this will just be swept under the rug, no problem. And the other way would be if this is going to go on for a long time and it's going to be a knock-on effect. So we said, like I said, we've had a good five-year run. So he sold all his businesses and companies and I sold all my businesses and companies. And it was like a big life change. I think it was that time yeah. was a big life change for a lot of people. I did do some research and I know that your uh, bubble tea shop was called Boba Bubble or is it Bubble Boba? Bubble Boba. Mm -hmm. uh, I have actually interviewed somebody else who has a lot of experience in the bubble tea business who's based in New York and he said something similar that you have to consider that the first year you may not be profitable and again it's a trial error so you think that's been the pattern is that if someone's going to the bubble tea business they have to consider that for the first year at least? Absolutely it, it's definitely a big learning curve I think if someone goes at it on their own and they don't have someone like me as a mentor really helping them, guiding them, giving them a full documentation packet of things like employee manuals, manager manuals, learning about stock rotation, health and safety. If someone's coming at it completely green and they don't have that stuff, it might be very difficult for them to really get the hang of things because there's a lot of really random stuff that you just wouldn't know, especially regarding bubble tea, but just being a small business owner. And so I think that's one of the benefits to my clients is they have that slight edge that over time they'll be ahead of everyone else in the game. But yeah, the first year, a huge percentage of small businesses fail. That's just a fact, unfortunately. And a lot of people either yeah. put too much money investment in it to begin with, thinking it's definitely going to succeed, but they're, they're almost already in debt at that point. Alternatively, some people start too weak. They go, oh, I'm just going to try it out and see how it works like a hobby. But because they're not really committing to it, there's not that full level of, like I said, being a parent and just making it work, making it successful. And so that's the opposite side of things. So 
it's definitely a matter of A, your drinks have to be on point, 100%. B, knowing who your target market is, maybe a little bit of who you want it to be, but in terms of drinks, customer service has to be on point. Overall brand experience, there's a lot of different variables to making a successful bubble tea shop. But number one, no matter what, your drink, your bubble tea drink, and your boba, your tapioca pearls have to be 110% amazing. (laughs) Because people will come in and they will definitely judge you on that right away, for sure. Yeah, I know I do. That's also <laughs> something I want to ask you about is like, how hard is it to get just that right texture, the right amount of chewiness? Because I definitely have had boba and I'm like, this is like mush. What happened there? What happens? Is it overcooked or is it hard to get yeah. that balance? There is, again, just within the tapioca pearls, the boba itself, there's a lot of different variables. Some of them, number one, could be the brand. So there's a lot of different brands out there that sell the the raw tapioca pearls. So that could be one thing. The second thing could be the type and the size. So some types are meant to be cooked shorter. Some types are meant to be cooked longer. The industry standard is like the long cook type. That's the very traditional Taiwanese tapioca pearls. So then we've got the amount of time. So the size and the time go hand in hand. If you have smaller pearls, you might need to cook them less time. If you have larger pearls, it might need to be cooked longer. And then also the cooking versus sitting time frame as well. So I have a YouTube video about this where I teach everybody the exact recipe that I did in my shops. Anyone can go online and find it as long as they're using the long cook type. And it's a really good recipe. It's cooking for 30, letting it sit for 15, and then washing it and letting it sit in the solution for 15, sweet solution, before you actually Mm -hmm. serve it. And for me and the brand that I was using, because I used the exact same brand for a full five years, did it did wonders. It was amazing. It was the perfect chewiness, like the QQ, as you might call it. And it was good enough to not get rock hard in a cold, ice cold drink and not become too chewy in a hot winter drink either. So that's part of it. But the other part of it is if you do have a different brand and you try that technique and it's too hard, try cooking it a little longer. But Mm. if you do it and you have a brand that's too soft or way too chewy, it almost tastes like a marshmallow. There's no QQ at all. Then I would suggest maybe either cooking it shorter or letting it sit for a shorter time or just changing the brand completely. So always listening to customer feedback is key. And one of the important things is having a a VIP group, like a studies group, people that they're your top customers, they're your biggest fans, they love bubble tea, they travel around the world to get it, have them join your VIP group. And then whenever you bring in a new product, a new drink, a new idea, you get them all together and you say, here's this, let me know your feedback. And then they let you know, and they got to be raw with it. You know, if they don't like it, they need to tell you because if they don't like it, all your other customers aren't going to like it either. That's great. That's a great idea. There's a great tip there already, right? There, You got your super fans there. Yeah, so let's, I want to talk to you about some interesting facts about boba or uh, tapioca pearls. There are different types, right? There's white and black and different flavors. Can you talk about what are the different types of tapioca and what's the one that we usually see in drinks? The main one that you're going to see in a, in a traditional bubble tea drink or boba drink um, is called the tapioca pearl, aka boba. And it's a, it should be a grade A quality, uh, long cook type. And it will be a dark brown and or black color. And the main of it is cassava root and tapioca. And some of them will have added sugar. Some of them will have added preservatives. Um, there's a lot of different varieties of it. And like I said, you just want to find the brand that suits you. There's so many around the world that people can have access to. So that's the main one. Then you have little offshoots of it. So you've got, so that one's usually 8.5 millimeter, like industry standard. You can also Mm -hmm. get nine, you can get six, you can get three. So they come in little sizes, different sizes. Then there's different color variants. So right now there's a bit of a trend with a light brown sort of color. Then there's a trend sometime a few years back, comes and goes a clear, white, opaque sort of color. But again, sticking with the actual tapioca made of the cassava. Then there's another trend that's picking up because bubble tea shops are spreading all over the world. 
And a lot of people may or may not have access or have or can afford to import these pearls from Taiwan. It's a machine that you feed into it the tapioca mix and it shoots out little balls. And then you just coat them in the tapioca flour. You can freeze them indefinitely almost and then pop them in the uh, cooker to cook them up. The benefit to that is you don't have to rely on supply chains. There's issues all the time. You can create your own colors, your own flavors. There's one brand that kind of marketed on this idea. They've got a huge machine, absolutely huge. And they do crazy things with it now. They'll even do little Pokemon balls and things like that. (laughs) It's called Onezo. And in Vietnam, when you go in, every day they have 12 different flavored types of tapioca pearls that they've made in shop on that day. They don't even do the freezer technique for that. They just make it, they put it out, they make it, they put it out. When they run out, it's gone. You can get amazing flavors like matcha, cactus, dragon fruit. And they're all different colors, but it's not a strong flavor. It's just a very slight flavor. Mm -hmm. So what everyone tends to do is they make, what that company tends to do is they make the drinks slightly less strong in flavor because the whole point of it is you're getting a little bit of flavor from the actual tapioca pearl. So it's, it's a different concept. Whereas normally with a bubble tea drink, you'd want the flavor to be quite strong because the customer may or may not have a topping. So you want it to have yin and yang, if you will. So it's not mm. too much flavor. So that's the, the basics of the boba. However, you have subcategories. A subcategory would be quick cook type tapioca pearls, which you can usually get on Amazon or eBay. It takes three to five minutes to cook them. Again, I have a whole video yeah, even, on how to do that. Even Trader Joe's has a boba kit that you can buy now. Yes. So those ones you just pop in the microwave. There's Boba Bam or something like that. There's all these different ones now that are available that never mm-hmm. used to exist. And actually, mm-hmm. I tried some of the very first microwavable tapioca pearls yeah. about four, no, five, four or five years. They've come a long way. Yeah. And I also understand the thing about tapioca pearls is that they can't keep that long either after you cook them. How long mm-hmm. does the boba last after it's cooked? Four hours. That's industry standard is four hours. Yeah. You could probably push yeah. it a little longer. But Mm -hmm. you got to be careful with the health and safety. And Mm -hmm. of course, it could go shorter. But yes, if you do put it into a cold drink or a refrigerator, it can either get really hard or it can turn into a giant marshmallow over time as well. (laughs) So I consider it to be a Taiwanese delicacy and you make it a certain way and it should be consumed within four hours. And that's that. Some people, they message me on YouTube. Oh, can I do this? Can I do that? I'm like, yeah, you can. But just remember that this is the way it should be served. And for a myriad of reasons. But like you said, and I've got some that I always try out just because I want to see how they taste. Like you said, bubble tea in a can, very popular in Southeast Asia. I remember when I went to Taiwan, went to 7-Eleven, the, the entire fridge was full of uh, over a hundred different bubble tea in a can or bubble tea in a plastic container. Or It was infinite possibilities of different types of Taiwanese teas and bubble teas that you could get just from 7-Eleven, let alone that, that grocery store. But those tend to be more like the agar type pearls where they're chewy or crunchy. Okay. And also if you get the kind where you put the hot water in it and it plumps up, again, it's like, it's just not really a tapioca pearl, but at least you have something to chew on. Because a lot of people who like bubble tea, they like the texture of it. So they got something to chew on. A lot of the at-home kits now will give an alternative like the juice balls or the jellies and you'll just add them in. So they're not already in the drink because that they would taste really bad over time. But it's like a little, you open up the can lid or the lid and you pop them in when you're all done making the drink and then you can drink them that way. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of Taiwan, when was the last time that you were there? Okay. I went in 20, I think it was 2018. I want to say 2018. That was the last time I was there. That was like a huge Southeast Asia tour. So we did Thailand, Malaysia, Vietnam, Taiwan. And it was a good two to three weeks at every single one of them. I was stopping off and just really trying to get immersed in the culture as much as possible, not staying at the places, not necessarily going to and staying at the places that all the tourists go, but right. meeting up with local people, doing as many uh, local on-foot tours as possible, getting recommendations from friends and family of where do they recommend to go and where do their friends recommend to go, and just really getting in there and um, finding out what culturally, what the differences were to see where the trends were going as well. It's crazy how much it's blown up. It used to be I would look on Google Maps or I'd be working with a client or something and I'd look, oh, oh okay, yeah, you've got one one place competition too. I look at those same cities now and I'm like, 
you've got 10, 15, 20 shop locations that are going to be your competition. It's totally different now. But anyways, going back to your original question, Taiwan, yeah, loved it. Went to, I apologize if I'm saying this wrong, but Chun Shui Teng, which was supposedly the original bubble tea shop. And that was a really great experience. And they market themselves as the original location, Uh Um, not just like the franchise, but that physical shop. I think it was in Taichung. So yeah, so I got to do that. They give you these little stamps that say, oh, I went to the original bubble tea shop and you get to have a sampler platter. You get to try all the different Mm -hmm. bubble teas. So that was really fun. I'm really excited for the world of boba and bubble tea because people are learning more about how to make it. They're figuring it out and everyone's really excited and really passionate about it. So now it's like everywhere around the world, almost everywhere, bubble tea shops are popping up. So it's good. Yeah. It's exciting. So you still think it's a good business, even though there's more and more people getting in there, it's getting more competitive. Yeah, I think so because we're seeing it evolve and change. So Mm -hmm. when I had it, when I was back in high school, it was classic strawberry, mango, maybe a few fruit teas. Yeah. And then we started to see like flavor evolution, Hokkaido, Okinawa, Mm -hmm. all these different types of flavors. And then... I don't want to take credit for this or anything, okay? But when I started introducing a lot of drinks, like I had a whole milks and milkshake style range. We call them milkshakes mm-hmm. in the UK. It just means shaken milk, basically. So we uh-huh. call them thin shakes. Okay. I had a whole thin shake milkshake range of things like banoffee, bubblegum, strawberry shortcake, cookies and cream, like all these really off-the-wall flavors that didn't exist in the bubble tea world at that time. Yeah. Then I had a sorbetto's range, which was fruit teas with real fruit jam in it with salted cream mousse. And this was wow. years ago. This was back in 2016, I created those yeah. drinks. And they weren't popular at the time, but now you go into a bubble tea shop and that's like normal. People are using jams and fruit teas now. <laughs> like it's not a big deal. But before it was, whoa, jam. Why would you use a jam yeah. instead of a syrup? It was yeah. like this whole mm-hmm. thought process. Mm-hmm. And then also the cheesecake drink range, which again is really amazing experience. It's like drinking a cheesecake. And then of course you add the, the topping <laughs> in it, the tapioca pearls or whatnot. So amazing, but it's not blended. We're not blending things like a malt or a milkshake. It's all bubble tea, using bubble tea ingredients with tea and tapioca pearls. And it's so amazing. So because it's evolving, we're finding that different people and different cultures are willing to try it and accept it. And there Mm -hmm. is a huge amount of people now that do not drink alcohol, whether it's for personal reasons or for religious reasons. Mm -hmm. And that group has really clung on to bubble tea and made it their Mm. own. They're adding a lot of different like Middle Eastern rose flavors, pistachio, different types of flavors that might not be palatable to like the Western palate or whatnot. But actually for them, it works and they love it. And they're very into new recipe creation, new flavors and experience as well. So sometimes when I travel, I, I look and I see America, for example, They're what I call Boba 4.0. They are (laughs) cutting edge, layers, walling. They've really got it going. And then you look at the UK and I'd still like, I don't know, maybe like Boba 3.0, but it's stuck at (laughs) 2.0. And then I look at some other countries and they're Boba 1.0. They're still figuring things out. They still don't really have a clue, but they're really trying. And so it's interesting to see the different levels of where everything's That's grown. Interesting. So you still think that the U.S. is the cutting edge. Interesting. Yeah. Taiwan would be number one, like 5.0. Mm-hmm. They're their own sort of founder, creator, and I think they set the trend and then it makes its way to some other countries and then it goes on social media. People want to try it. It becomes popular. And then it's just a matter of being able to either make it from scratch or be able to import it. And what's your supply chain like? from a business point of view. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that boba is from Taiwan. I'm wondering, while it's clear how much you love bubble tea and how much you know and have learned about it, since you're not from Taiwan or Asia, how have people reacted to you? It's an interesting point that you bring up. Being a white American female, <laughs> uh, I have gotten a lot of hate over the years, I will admit. Oh, really? Um, but I just try to take it in stride because I understand that it is a culturally ethnic item and I am not from that culture. I was not born into it, nor did I grow up in mm-hmm. that country where it originated mm-hmm. from. I'm very aware and I'm, I never 
rebut anybody who says anything to me because I feel like it's their opinion and it obviously means something very important to them and their identity. And so I just either leave the comment there or I let it play out for a week and then I respectfully delete it just because I also on the opposite side don't want it to create hate in any way Mm -hmm. on either side. Mm -hmm. I'm very aware and I try to be very, I know it's a very sensitive subject. The other thing is when I was learning about bubble tea and how to create the recipes and how to open my own business and everything, at that point in Southern California, all the shops were only owned by Asians, Asian Americans, wherever they were from. There was one guy Mm -hmm. from the Philippines, one guy from Hong Kong, one from Taiwan, China, but the whole kind of uh, umbrella term of Asian American. Yeah. So a lot of people that at that point I had reached out to and I went to their physical location, I said, can you mentor me? And some people laughed and said no. And other people said, no, I can't. I'm sorry. I said, why? And they said, ah, you're a white girl. I can't do that. I can't share my secrets with you. And I said, okay, that's fine. But I found someone, like I said, who was like, no problem. There's a term now called bridging cultures. So they said, no problem. We're all about bridging cultures and sharing insider secrets just because it's ours. It doesn't mean that it can't be the world's. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very fortunate and I'm I respect that person and their decision to teach everything to me because up until that point, they were industry secrets. And now that bubble tea has really taken off in the world, I have the comparison of back in the day, there was a magician who released some magic secrets. And I feel like I was that person when I started my YouTube channel because up until that point, people didn't know how to make long cooked type Mm -hmm. tapioca pearls. People Mm -hmm. didn't know how to make a basic milk tea. When you bought Mm -hmm. supplies from a bubble tea supplier, they did not give you recipes. They said, here's the supplies, figure it out. Because they didn't want to, again, share industry secrets. And I get Mm -hmm. that and I respect that. But also, if someone in England wanted to open uh, a pizza parlor, they would go to Italy or find an Italian person, hopefully, who would say, oh, here's how you make pizza, like back in the day. Or they would go to America and they say, how do you make hamburgers and hot dogs? Okay, I want to open that in the UK what I did. I I found people who I knew could be trusted. They were industry leaders and they knew about the culture of the product. And they said, here's how you do it. Go open it in England. And I was up until, I don't know, maybe a few years back, the only female bubble tea shop owner in the UK and the only white bubble tea shop owner in the UK. But now there's all different types. There's Caribbean owners, people from the Middle East, a lot of female bubble tea shop owners, Indian, very culturally diverse. And although I I don't want to say that I was the first, but I definitely took a stand for it. And I feel like I opened that pathway to allow others to then go in and make it their own as well. And now for a short break. Hello, listeners. I'm excited to share that we have a donor who has offered Talking Taiwan a matching donation of $5,000. That means when we raise $5,000, it will be automatically doubled to $10,000. So this is the time for you to make a contribution to Talking Taiwan and help us raise $10,000. You can make a contribution to Talking Taiwan on GoFundMe.com, Patreon.com, forward slash Talking Taiwan, or PayPal and Zelle using our email address TalkingTaiwanPodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're old school, just send us a check to our mailing address, which you'll find on our website at TalkingTaiwan.com forward slash support. All of our donors will get exclusive first listening access to my interviews with Kevin Lin, one of the co-founders of Twitch and current co-founder and CEO of MetaTheory. The Boba Guys, co-founders Andrew Chow and Bin Chen. Chin Chi Yang, a multidisciplinary artist who has been inducted into the New York Foundation for the Arts Hall of Fame. And Michelle Ho, an attorney, activist, and author of Reading with Patrick, which is a runner-up for the Dayton Literary Peace Prize and the Goddard Riverside Stefan Russo Book Prize for Social Justice. We'd like to thank our first donor of the year, the Greater New York Region Overseas Taiwanese Pen Club, and all of our supporters. Now, back to the episode. But the one thing that I always say to uh, people looking to open their own bubble tea shop is, make sure you have your foundational Taiwanese traditional style drinks first and foremost. They need to be amazing. They need to be the best. Make sure your pearls are cooked right. And then 
have your other categories, whether it be mocktails, cheesecake drinks, matcha series, the brown sugar flip drink. Just that drink alone, if you ask a 14-year-old today, what's your favorite boba or bubble tea drink, at least in the UK, they'll go, oh, brown sugar. Or they'll say, oh, that milk tea. And I'm like, it's a brown sugar drink with milk. It doesn't even actually, sometimes it doesn't even have tea in it. But but they're so conditioned now to think that that's what bubble tea is. And I'm like, that drink's only been around for a few years. But because (laughs) of social media and because of proof of their friends and the trends, at least here in the UK, that's the main drink right now is that brown sugar one, which is quite interesting. I'm sorry to hear that you had some negative response, but unfortunately in this kind of environment with a lot of things that we've seen since COVID, I'm actually not surprised. And I was thinking about asking you if you felt that impact because there's unfortunately been a lot of Asian hate and like things that happened that came out during COVID. That was actually something I was wondering if you experienced at all um, in the business that you're doing. Yeah, in the business, I think when I owned it, it wasn't people coming to me directly and saying these things. It was community type things. When I first opened my shop, I was the only one in that area. And then another one opened. And then maybe a year later, another one opened. And within that five-year period, there were like 15 when I exited. During that time, when some of the other ones opened, one of them was a big chain called Cha Time. And that was owned uh-huh. by a Chinese owner. I think that that franchise was that specific location. And whether or not their drinks were amazing versus one of the ones I had. Before that shop opened, my number one top seller was a drink called Hokkaido. And it's very similar to a classic milk tea in terms of the profile and Mm -hmm. flavor. It's just slightly different. And everyone would come in, Asian after Asian, whether they were Chinese or Filipino or whatever they were, everyone came in for that drink. Then when Chatem opened, it was like they all went there. And so part of it was due to the brand because they walked around campus and they wanted to look cool with their Chatem cup or whatever. But the other thing was I found out by me asking, but a staff member knowing a friend of a friend who asked around. And they said, why did you guys stop coming into Bubble Boba? And they said, oh, that one's a Chinese owner. This girl, she doesn't know what she's doing. And they're like, yeah, but you've been going there for two years now and you just decided to change. And yeah, we need to support him. He's he's a Chinese owner. So it's like that sort of thing. And I get it because there's a lot of things where they say women-led support women-run businesses or diversity of the type of person that someone would date or be married to, okay, let's support them because they're culturally different. So I get that. But also, it doesn't mean necessarily that my drinks were better or worse. It was just, nope, that's it. Go in there now. Bubble tea exists now from a Chinese person over there. So we're not going to go to this one anymore. So that was like the first time that I had, oh, that's strange. Well, it's great that you could have that perspective because I'm sure a lot of people would have been upset about that because maybe they would have thought, I know that my drink, the quality, the consistency, all that is good and maybe better than this other person's. Why are they just going over there? That'd be a natural reaction. Yeah. I think in the beginning, there's definitely that sort of shock and, and disbelief and maybe slight anger or upset. But once you look at it, again, from a cultural point of view, I get it because that's how we're taught. It's we want to support people who are like-minded and or support people who are different than us. And so it's just the way it is. It's just human beings and the way that we think. But oppositely, now that I'm on YouTube, people can hide behind their computer screen. And so people say what they want to say. There's no holding back. And it doesn't matter if it's negative, mean, belittling. Maybe they're trying to get you down or trying to make you want to quit or... They just feel that they want to share their opinion and, and yeah. they honestly are upset about it. And it's fine. And I think that as long as it doesn't turn into a toxic environment, yeah. they're more than welcome to share their opinion. It's fine. Yeah. If, if it makes them feel better and maybe someone else might agree, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a reality of social media and the internet, but um, you need to mitigate that or moderate it or something. So it sounds like you have a standard procedure or like a formula that you think is a good one to share for people that want to do bubble tea as a business. So how long do you think that you would say, or can you even say on average, do you think it would take someone to be profitable uh, doing a bubble tea business? Is it like a minimum of a year? That's a good point. The way that I approach working with my clients is not necessarily a cookie cutter system. So I always Mm -hmm. analyze where they're at and what they want to achieve from it. And then usually the thing that always comes up is they want to know what kind of menu to serve with what recipes. 
what equipment to buy, and what the shop layout should be. And to be fair, those are probably the most important things when opening a bubble tea shop. Everything else is important, of course. But just for opening, that's very important. Making sure that you have a great menu that gets in the people that you want and also the people from the community. Making sure that you know how to make the drinks so they taste amazing. It's obviously important. What equipment should you buy? Because a lot of people go out and they spend a ridiculous amount of money on stuff that you just don't need. You really don't need it. Sure. Yeah. And last but not least, the layout. I can't tell you Mm -hmm. how many times I've been to bubble tea shops and there are just people running around everywhere. The staff running around. Oh, yeah. The flow is so important. They're pouring the tea in over there and they're going all the like, what? I'm like, did not someone just sit down? No, granted, it's taken me hours and hours to visualize the system of like right to left. Easy, done, the drink's out, ready to go. We're not running around all over the place. It took time and experience, but I can easily look at the types of drinks someone's making and going, okay, let's put that there, done. And they're like, oh, why didn't I think of that? I'm like, it's okay. That's why we work on this together. So with that front part, it is definitely customized for every single person. There's a lot of places now that will help you own your own shop, will help you get up and running. And they just literally pay money. They send them a series and they go, here you go, watch this or here's some random person we've hired to train you. They don't know what they're doing. They didn't own their own shop. Maybe they own a Mm. factory or they own a business or something. And it's okay. Like they're allowed to do that. It's a free economy. They can do whatever they want. But I just feel bad for some of those people because they've actually then come to me later and been like, I spent all this money. I still don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's figure this out quickly because you're about to open. (laughs) We need to make this work. How much money did you spend? Oh my gosh. Return all that. Let's do it this way instead. So for me... Yeah. So one thing that I said earlier on was, unfortunately, a lot of businesses fail in the first year. And there's a lot of different variables. But if we look at it within saying, okay, you can get profit within the first year, but you need to reinvest it back in. It's not true that you can't profit within the first year. You definitely can. Mm -hmm. But that money that you make isn't going to go give you a trip to Bali. Don't expect to take any trips or holidays or vacations, as you would say in America, (laughs) within the first two to three years. Because all of that money that you're making needs to be reinvested back into the business, whether it's product development, photography, menu redesign. Now, you can do some traveling to bring new ideas back, but don't see it as a vacation where you're sitting on a beach. See it as go for the amount of time that you need, go to as many bubble tea shops as possible, do as much much research as you need. For example, when I did that Southeast Asian tour, yes, mm-hmm. of course, it was great. It was a small vacation, running around, having fun, doing this and that, whatever. But it was a business trip. It was a work trip. Sure. It was like, how many bubble tea shops can I get to in a day? It's statistics. Who's coming in? Who's going out? What's trending mm-hmm. on social media? Mm-hmm. What size cups are they using? What price are they charging? Are they including mm-hmm. a topping? Are they not including a topping? And the list goes on and on. Yeah. Having that full spreadsheet, comparing it to mine and saying, which of this, yeah, which of the cork, the wheel that's going around, which one is not working here? Which one can be improved to have there be more? And maybe that means finding a new supplier with a cheaper price. But if you do that, are you compromising on quality? So there's a lot of different things to think about. And the other thing that people tend to do in their first year, which kind of surprises me, is they try to get product direct from Taiwan, like without any middleman. And they Mm -hmm. think, I'm going to save money. And I get it. The reality is that once you've included the now ridiculously priced shipping container, it used to be like two grand for shipping container. Now it's 20 Uh grand. So once Uh you've included that, you've included all the port fees, the import Uh fees, you're probably going to need an agent or a middleman. you got to throw them in Uh there. What happens if it gets caught up in customs? Then you've got a Uh daily port fee rate and Uh an overdue port fee. And then you got to get the truck to and from. Now, it started that a lot of these warehouses and bubble tea suppliers in Taiwan have started offering all of this for you. So they go, don't worry about it. We'll take care of all of it. But again, once you look at the overall thing, the price adds up again. So- The reality is that in the first year, if you're going to go the traditional route of using powders and syrups and tapioca pearls and things like that Mm -hmm. from Taiwan, which is an easy route and it's reliable and people like the flavor. Okay. So if you decide to go that route, get it from a supplier that's in your country, at least within the first year or two. Mm -hmm. Then once you've got- You'll save a lot of headache. Sure. Yes. You'll save a lot of headache and a lot of money. And you'll again, you'll get your feet on the ground. You'll get your feelers. Then Mm -hmm. once you've got either a few shops and or you're in expansion mode or franchise mode, then go direct from Taiwan. Because at that point, you can cut out all of those additional fees and you can save a lot of money. And then you can start what's called white labeling products. So you can put your own brand on it. Um, Again, if you're doing the franchise thing, that's a whole different can of worms. But 
it, you'll save money that way. The first year, I would say keep things as simple as possible, but a strong brand, strong product, strong customer service, strong vision. Like when people walk in, there should be no doubt in their mind that they're in your shop. And if they go to a shop next door, they should want to go back to your shop. That's how good it is. It is like mm-hmm. above and beyond anything they've ever yeah. had. And they feel like they have to go there every day to get that buzz. Wow, this was the best experience ever. I need to go in there and spend more money. <laughs> so that should be one thing. Keeping it simple, but keeping it the best. Not spending a huge amount of money in the beginning. Wait until you get that earning. This is another big difference. Mm-hmm. In the UK, people start a business or a small business with the money in their bank account. That's it. They've got 20, 30, 50, 100 grand. That's it. Mm-hmm. But I notice mm-hmm. in America, they go out and they get loans. They use credit right. cards, lines yep. of credit. They'll put their home up for sale just so they can open. It's totally different. And I feel like that's why sometimes prices of bubble tea products and supplies are way overinflated in America versus the UK, for example. I because see. they know an American will be like, oh, five grand, no problem. I'll buy that. I'll just put it on a line of credit or whatever. Here, 500 pounds. It's the same product. It's 500. It's a quarter of the price or more because people here only usually buy cash when they're starting a business. Unless they're a huge company, they don't have all of these investors and angels investors and lines of credit and credit cards and all that. That's very American and Canada type thing. So that's another thing to think about. If you had to open today with only the money in your bank account and you knew you were going to lose everything, would you still do it? In the UK, that is a viable question. But in America, people don't ask themselves that. So they got nothing to lose. They're like, oh, I'll try it. We'll see how it goes. No, here, everything is on the line. Your whole, like all the money in your bank account, that's all you have. So they really make sure that it works here and then it's successful. And they put 110% in every single day. I don't know statistically, but I think yeah. sometimes the UK businesses are a little more successful with small mom and pops in the first year than some of the American. Yeah. It's also interesting because when I talked to this bubble tea shop veteran from New York, he was also saying about the price point is that there would be people that tried to price each other out. And he was like, that's just not a good idea to try to compete on the price point because you're just hurting everybody and that we should try not to offer the cheapest product, just not compete on that because it's not good for the industry. It's just exactly. it's tough. It's hard for anyone to survive. Exactly. Yeah. The one thing that comes to mind with that is I saw a, a funny TikTok video of, a, mm-hmm. of two guys selling eggs and it yeah. was like 50 cents each, 50 cents each. And they got 40 cents each, 40 cents each. And then he went 40 and then he went 30 and he kept going down. And then finally, when he was like at the base price, that guy went over, bought all his eggs, <gasps> across through, marked him up to a dollar each. Oh, That guy went wow. out of business. This guy charges yeah. whatever he wants. Oh my right? Gosh. So we don't want to do that to other business owners, whether yeah. you believe in karma Good or point. whatever, because what's the point? Yeah, you might win in the end, but the customer is not really actually gaining anything. There's no growth. There's no new ideas. A little mm-hmm. bit of competition is actually a good thing. Yes. And it yes. makes your mind work harder and think yeah. better and quicker and faster and yeah. more creatively. Yeah. We want competition in this free economy, definitely. Yeah. You mentioned just now that you also help some business owners that they've had some challenge or something's gone wrong. Can you share a story of Someone that you've helped that got into some trouble or needed to really turn things around and how did you help them to do that? Let's see. I think a good example on an easy scale of that would be, because again, I do sign a lot of uh, NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. So I can't necessarily say who or why or how. But two examples pop into mind. One of them was on the East Coast and he came to me and said, I'm going to be buying supplies from this company. I've also bought their full training package and this is their equipment list they've given me. I just want to spend, pay for an hour of your time just to get your second opinion on it. Sure, no problem. And I looked at it and again, bearing in mind how much more expensive everything is in America, I was like, wow, it was shocking how much they had. I don't want to say taking advantage of him, Mm. but they, I think the one thing I don't, I do not do is I don't ask my clients how much money they have to spend. Mm. I don't care if they've got nothing or a lot. I treat them the exact same way. But part of that's because I don't have anything to really sell except for my services. That's it. I think what happened was he probably talked to them and they said, oh, what's your budget? And he said something like 150K. Oh, sure. Okay. You got to have this brand new top of the range Mm -hmm. tea maker. It will make and brew your tea for you and this and that. And you got to have this fructose machine 
but you just speak to it and it, it makes the right dream. It's like all of this stuff. And I was like, okay, sure. cool. Yeah. So knowing that he obviously had this much money, whether it was a line of credit or whatever, I said, here's my thought process. And I told him what it was. And I said, that money that you were originally going to spend, let's say it was 100K or whatever, I said, we can knock it down to less than 50. What would that extra 50 do for you? Like, where could you put it? Just out of curiosity. I know you've got a lot of money mm-hmm. or whatever, but what would that extra 50? And he went, hmm, wow, I could get in really good photography team, take good pictures for my menu. I could even hire a social media company and do a huge PR launch for my shop opening. He started being really creative with that extra money that he thought he had, but he didn't because he was going to willy-nilly just give it to this place. All they were giving him was equipment and machinery and supplies. And so so I was like, okay, great. I'm going to leave that ball in your court. You haven't committed with them, but maybe just go in and do the training with them, see if it's helpful, and just don't sign anything on the dotted line in terms of the rest of the stuff that they're promising you. And then let me know. Let me know how it goes. If you want to work with me, great. If not, whatever, fine, but good luck. So a couple months went by and then I got an email and he said, I went to the training class. Doesn't really seem like they knew what they were doing. I didn't really learn a lot. I got some basic foundation. And to be fair, in that time, I've also gone to a lot of other bubble tea shops, see how they operate, see what equipment and supplies they're using. And he said, it's not that I'm disappointed now or I feel like I've been taken advantage of, but he said, I can see now what you said about if I had all that extra money, I don't actually need all this extra stuff. And we can actually make it start off basic, then from the profits, slowly upgrade to some other things if we feel we need them at a later time. And I said, exactly. Let's go for it. So we did. And then he was able to open way under budget to the point where he had so much money left over that he was able to use it for other things. And also it gave him that extra buffer within that first Mm -hmm. year to Mm -hmm. have the option of, ooh, this staff member didn't work out. I'm going to bring on someone new and train them up. Or, oh, this broke, or not equipment-wise, but like the plumbing or the electrics or something went wrong. He didn't have to go take out another credit card. It was like, no, he already had this money there. He could just hire an electrician to come in or hire a plumber and get it fixed and all these other things. So that's one example. The other one that I wanted to bring up was, only because you asked, (laughs) there's a company that I worked with who had been in business for a long time. And this is an example of a family-run business that loves bubble tea. They've been doing it for years, but they never really got to that creative, expressive side with their products. So even though they've always been successful and people love their drinks, they just wanted to take it to the next step. And so what we did was we looked at all of their sales for the last year before that, compared all of the drinks, looked Mm -hmm. at what's trending now versus then, which ones did we want to keep, which ones did we want to get rid of, and condensed their menu to their strongest best sellers. Then we look at, okay, what are some new drinks that we can bring in to be like one-off drink of the day, drink of the week, drink of the month? Do we want it to be a new category? Do we want seasonal? Basically just taking their menu, which was old and tried and true and tested, and shedding off the layers of things that they didn't need anymore and almost Mm -hmm. rebranding them to have a brand new menu, but keeping their top favorites of their customer base, but being able to bring in a new, almost like a side income source of new customers, new people, and things that we know that are going to be successful for them. So that would be another example. Great. Thanks for sharing that. It's very interesting, this role that you've created yourself. I see you as an ambassador of Bubble Tea. What do you see as your role? Do you see yourself as like a trainer, an educator, someone who's helping business owners? How do you see yourself? That's a good question. I think it's one of those things that I'm very passionate about bubble tea, very passionate about where it originates from, the culture around it, and I have a lot of respect for it. And coming from that foundation and being able to share my many years of experience, knowledge, understanding, a lot of people say I have a good way of explaining the recipes and things in my videos and stuff. So just by me giving that free knowledge out there on my YouTube platform, from that, people get inspired And they want to do it also, whether that means at home, at a birthday party, at a wedding, or they want to open their own shop or kiosk or MRU or trailer or whatever they want to do. And so by me giving out that free information, I feel like a lot of people have the opportunity to finally go out for the first time, get some supplies, try it at home and say, you know what, this is something I can do or this is something I don't want to do. 
but at least they know now, where before it was such secretive information. And then from that information being out there, from that free videos and stuff out on the web now, then if people want, they can come to me and get additional education and mentoring and guidance so they can fulfill their dream of opening a bubble tea shop. Because there's two types of people that contact me. One type Mm -hmm. is they just want to make money. That's it. Sure. The other type is they have as much passion and love for bubble tea as I do. I'm I'm not saying that I will or won't work with one, but nine times out of 10, the ones that contact me and we have that initial consultation call and they're only in it for the money, they usually don't end up necessarily working with me. And I think part of that is because they realize that, yes, I can give them a winning formula, but I'm not going to do all the work for them. They need to go the franchise route. They just need mm-hmm. to buy a product that's already there and they're completely void of it. They have no emotional attachment. They let it run on its own and that's that. But the people who are fully into it, passionate about it, they love it. They drink it every day. They've been to Taiwan. Those are the ones that come in and they have something that drives them. It's like an inner desire to be a small business owner, but for something that they love. And those are the people that when they work with me, they just hit the floor running. They figure it out. I don't have to lead the horse to water and make it drink. I just lead the horse to water and it's, oh, great. There's water. Clarity. (laughs) I'm saved. (laughs) So like that would be my sort of thing, definitely. That's really interesting because I think when you're in the hospitality business or whatever, like having a bubble tea shop or a cafe or whatever it is, it's this little community and building that business of the shop or whatever is very different than having a franchise. So it sounds like when you're talking about the franchise, it's more somebody about having a business that's like efficient and that can run and be profitable, but then maybe then they're not so attached in the day-to-day or so much, but they just see it as the bottom line. Is that accurate? Yeah. I, th- I think just to clarify, the people who want to go the yeah. franchise route, there's nothing wrong with it. Sure. But like no. you said, they're just not really emotionally attached to it. They maybe have large sum of money or they've inherited a sum of money and they just want to invest it and mm-hmm. let someone else run it for them. They have yeah. so much money that they don't care. They're yeah. just like, whatever. Just I just want to have some sort of investment or income or whatever. But the people who are the small mom and pops or they have a brick and mortar, they just want to run it themselves. Maybe they want to have a few yeah. staff members. They just, they definitely have the emotional attachment and they have the passion and the drive and yeah. they're willing to take chances. Whether it means that the investment works or doesn't, it doesn't matter because yeah. they love it so much. It, it becomes you- a part of your life. Do you miss that at all, running the brick and mortar and having your shop? There there are days that I miss it, <laughs> I will say. <laughs> I miss every day, well, not every day, but the days that I would go in and work. I was the type of boss that was very hands-on. I wasn't the kind that okay. just said to my staff, like, oh, just run it. Although I could have, I guess I could have, but sure. I was very like, I want to do at least work a few days a week and be in there. Sure. Part of it is because I love customers and customer service, and if I can be that person and and emulate that brand to these people and have my staff see me be that way, that way they will also do that same thing I am doing. Speech Mm -hmm. patterns, communication style, energy level, what I say and how I do it with a smile. But if I say to them, you need to be this way, and they're like, she's not like that. She works here. Yeah. Why would I be like that? Exactly. So first of all, that kind of sets the precedence. But also building that customer relationship with people and actually figuring out what do they think? What are their purchasing habits? Where are they in in life? How does that affect their purchasing power, what they buy, how much they spend? Just really understanding people and taste preferences. Again, it's like I said, taking a vacation when you go places. Yes, of course, but really having it be a work trip and doing as much research as possible. Because that's how you really understand a product that you're selling. Because at the end of the day, it is a product that you're selling. But I think the difference is that some people sell a product, but other people sell a dream or a passion. And Mm -hmm. so to actually be in the shop doing that, the customers come in, they know you. It's a lot different experience. So I definitely miss that. But I'm able to be expressive and continue that through my YouTube videos. Some of my mentoring sessions will be an hour. Some of them will last two hours. When you're talking about something that you love and, and you enjoy doing, you don't. it doesn't feel like work. 
You get off the call yeah. and you feel energized. You don't feel like, oh, I can't do that again. <laughs> and that's how it feels when you're in a shop, or at least when I was working in my yeah. bubble tea shop. And yes, of course I was exhausted, especially if I was there yeah. 12 or however many hours sure. for the day. Oh my goodness. But yeah. you leave and you're sitting there at night going, how can I do to make it better? Like, can we improve this drink? What did that customer say? How did that go down? Why did that happen? Okay, I need to change this because that's obviously not working. It's like sitting there and thinking about it and it just like consumes yeah. your life. So yeah, it's, it's different. That, that's an interesting question yeah. though that you ask because yeah. there's a part of me that misses it and another part of me that yeah. doesn't. When I do miss it, I'm like, oh, but it's okay because now I can go to clients' shops yeah, and work exactly. there and train them exactly. and, and all this. Yeah, so it's good. And speaking of your YouTube channel, I'm sure you have a lot of drink recipes there. Would you be able to recommend a drink recipe that's relatively easy to make, but it would seem impressive if you were to make it or serve it? If someone is at home, because a shop is different because you're going to have access to yeah. unlimited yeah. supplies and products. But if someone's at home, they're going to have some friends over, or maybe they want to try a drink and or a drink that they've seen in a bubble tea shop, but they can't go out yeah. and buy the product. I would recommend a drink on there called the Ube Cloud. Okay. So Ube is very similar to Taro. I'm sure a lot of people know that. Okay. And the flavor profile is very similar as well to the point that people get it confused all the time. However, yeah. that drink uses stuff that you can buy at any... Asian market or Filipino style market, it uses an ube paste. And then you're okay. simply combining very simple other ingredients to make the actual drink itself. And the cool thing about that drink is you can do different things with it. You can layer it. You can do the walling effect where you're slithering on the inside, making loops or stripes or do whatever you want. And definitely drink it with a bubble tea straw, whether you have boba in it or not, because you'll get, <laughs> once you get the drink and you look at it and it looks cool, then you'll take your straw, push it around the outside, mix it together and drink it. And you'll get these little tiny fresh ube chunks from that jam. You can see it in the mm -hmm. YouTube video. I show a picture of the actual okay. product of the ube jam. Like I said, I've seen it all over the world. I know everyone can get it. Everything mm. in that drink you can find from a market and a grocery store. And the drink just tastes amazing. Now, of course, you do need to be an ube taro fan, but most people are. A lot yeah. of people, they may not have tried it, sure. but once they try it, they'll like it. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'd recommend that one. So we'll make sure that we find that and we'll put a link to it on the show notes for this episode. Is there anything else you want to share about bubble tea that maybe I haven't covered? I think probably for people who are listening to this, if someone's a huge bubble tea fan, great. Keep going out, keep trying new drinks. Don't get stuck on the same rut. You've got your favorite, which is amazing, but be sure to try new things because bubble tea world is always evolving. Mm -hmm. If you haven't tried bubble tea and you're curious about it, don't necessarily judge it on the first drink that you try. <laughs> some shops, just because they're famous, doesn't necessarily mean their drinks are good. And some shops, they may have been around for a while and they might recommend something to you, but they don't realize that actually you're more of a fruit tea person with a popping juice ball and a jelly. Or maybe actually you are more of a traditional classic or Hokkaido or Hong Kong style or anything with the tapioca pearl. So you don't really know until you've tried it. So be explorative and be willing to try new things and maybe go with a friend. And then that way you can order one drink, get it in two cups or share the drink. And then that way, if you don't like it, it wasn't a huge loss. And maybe you split the price or something. And then the next time you go back, try a different drink in a different style and a different topping. And... That way, you'll learn to figure out what kind of drinks you like, and you'll be able to explore the world of bubble tea safely. And then hopefully you can also find something that is exciting and gives you passion and excitement and joy because the world of bubble tea is infinite possibilities. It's never ending. And who knows where it will go and what will come from it. <laughs> and it's just a really fun, enjoyable experience. And it's deep rooted in the Taiwanese culture. And so it's another opportunity to go out there into the world, get inspiration. And then maybe also you as a listener or a viewer will then also want to take a heritage trip to Taiwan to learn all about it and see all the amazing shops and cafes and restaurants that serve it and all their small differences. And no bubble tea is the same. doesn't matter if it's the exact same company in a mm -hmm. different country or if it's a classic here or a classic there. Every single bubble tea is different. So go out there and try them all and start your check marks until you've reached thousands like I have. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Where can yeah. uh, people 
go if they want to learn more about you. Of course, we'll share your YouTube channel, um, but where else can they follow you? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, my YouTube channel is great, Bubble Tea Kristen. My website for people who do want to do mentoring or start their own bubble tea shop or even just purchase recipes, that one is bubbleteaexpert.com. I'm also on Instagram, although I'm not on it a huge amount, but I'm on it. Same with TikTok. And I have a Facebook page, but I'm not really active on that one either. So probably just the main ones like YouTube, website, and Instagram. I think those are the main ones for me. And then maybe you'll run into me one day. I'm going to be in London again next week for almost two weeks with different clients lined up. Mm -hmm. So you just never know where you might bump into me around the world. I'm always out traveling everywhere. So it's good. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And like I said, it's a huge honor to be on your show. And it's been very enjoyable for me to share my excitement about everything with everyone out there in the world. Thank you. Thanks so much. I've been speaking with Kristen McCoy Ward about bubble tea. And now you know why she's been called the Boba Queen. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more from Sam, the New York-based bubble tea veteran, we'll be sharing more from my interview with him in another episode soon. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by NATOA, the North America Taiwanese Women's Association. NATOA was founded in 1988 to evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity to oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality, to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NATWA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Now it's time for you to show us some love. We just found out that you can rate us on Spotify. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.